0: Before I begin, I need to ask for a little latitude today. I'm preaching both this week and next, and decided to use that opportunity to do a true two-part sermon. It's really one sermon over two weeks, so today's sermon doesn't have the conclusion in the usual sense, uh, nor is there an obvious scriptural foundation today, but I'll more than make up for that um, next week. So, here we go. As some of you know, my son and I just went on an epic road trip. For his 16th birthday, we were planning already to go to California. And since getting on a plane isn't the best idea right now, we decided to drive all the way to Venice Beach, California, spend a few days, and then drive back a whole different route. So all in all, we spent more than 40 hours in the car together and traveled more than 2,500 miles over eight days in my little Subaru Impreza. We saw Zion National Park, Grand Canyon National Park, Monument Valley, Death Valley, the Pacific Ocean, of course. We blew out a tire on a dirt road in Arizona, almost lost a tail light, did lose the trim piece around the front fog light. We saw Las Vegas for the first time. I was not impressed. We saw two moose where we camped one night. I was very impressed. We ate a lot of bad fast food and drank a lot of gas station coffee and in general had a fantastic time. And I just want to say, we live in an amazing country. If you haven't been out on the road for a while, let me tell you, it's stunningly beautiful and unbelievably diverse and big. It's just so big. That's what really comes across in the Southwest is the overwhelming scale of the land. I was often reminded while we were driving around of the song, America the Beautiful, you know, spacious skies and purple mountain majesty and all of that. So I looked it up when I got home. I had forgotten that it was written by Catherine Lee Bates. Born on the eve of the Civil War in 1859, she was the daughter of a congregationalist minister. Here she is when she was younger. And here's another picture of her a little later in life. Isn't she great? Just such a commanding presence there. Catherine was a member of the second class, only the second class at the newly formed Wellesley Women's College. And then she went on to study at Oxford and then came back and became a full professor at Wellesley. I had no idea that she was such an accomplished author and poet that she wrote for the Atlantic Monthly. She was even a war correspondent for the New York Times. Nor did I know that she spent her whole life fighting for the poor, for women, for people of color, tenement residents, and immigrants. I did know, as many of you probably do, that it was while spending a summer in Colorado in her early 30s, teaching at the Colorado Summer School, that she was inspired to write America the Beautiful. She later recalled, One day, some of the other teachers and I decided to go on a trip to 14,000 foot Pikes Peak. We hired a prairie wagon and near the top, we had to leave the wagon and go the rest of the way by mules. I was very tired, but when I saw the view, I felt great joy. All the wonder of America seemed displayed there. All the wonder of America seemed displayed there. Now, she had in mind, of course, the physical, geological wonder of America, that same sense of grand scale and diversity of landscape that I felt on our trip. But knowing now who she was and the values she spent her life defending, I wonder if maybe she also had in mind a different kind of wonder of America. We are thankfully beginning to grapple more honestly with the history of this country's founding And the violence and the degradation imposed upon Native Americans and Africans by white Europeans. It's a history, it's a part of our history so horrific that it seriously challenges the suggestion that America might in any way be special. And yet it is also part of our history that so many of those white Europeans came here precisely to escape oppression themselves, and they sought a new way of life, and perhaps because of the grand scale of the land itself contributed to the grand scale of their vision. The great American experiment, the idea of a Republic governed by the people for the people is indeed both great in its scope and possibility, and it is an experiment. It is fragile and uncertain and still unfolding. As a child, I naively took the ideals enshrined in the Declaration of Independence as as givens. I believed them to be who we were and something we all believed in. As I grew, I learned not everyone really did. And I learned that even from the start when the founding fathers said all men are created equal, they didn't mean women or people of color or those who didn't own property. But even learning those things, I never doubted that we were moving toward a more perfect union, that we would get there someday, that we would never let democracy and liberty and true equality, at least as ideals, cease to be our goal and our end. I'm less sure of that these days. The last day of our trip, my son and I were in southwestern Colorado, just north of Silverton, where we had camped the night before. We stopped in the small town, mountain town of Uray for coffee. It was coincidentally July 4th. At the walk-up coffee shop, I noted a sign in the window, small but unmissable, that read Black Lives Matter. And then I saw a truck presumably getting ready for the parade they were about to have, have with a sign that read all lives matter above a confederate flag and i wonder are these the signs of an old failing republic of an idea whose time has come and gone or is it the conflict or is the conflict and animosity we are experiencing in our nation the growing pains of an idea that is still stretching to its full height. And I wonder if the answer to that is up to us. You may know the oft, often quoted story about Benjamin Franklin that after leaving Independence Hall, a woman asked, well, doctor, what have we got? A Republic or a monarchy? A republic, he replied, if you can keep it. If you can keep it. That's the question, I guess. Can we keep it? So let me ask you to ponder some related questions this week. What is America to you? Who does America belong to? What are the values that make America beautiful? And because I'll explore this next week, how does your faith help to inform those values? I want to close part one of this sermon with a poem by Langston Hughes. Here's a picture of of Langston and his great smile. The poem is called Let America Be America Again. He wrote it in 1935. It's a little long, but it's worth it. Let America be America again. Let it be the dream it used to be. Let it be the pioneer on the plain seeking a home where he himself is free. America never was America to me. Let America be the dream the dreamers dreamed. Let it be that great strong land of love where never kings connive nor tyrants scheme that any man be crushed by one above. It never was America to me. Oh, let my land be a land where liberty is crowned with no false patriotic wealth, but opportunity is real and life is free. Equality is in the air we breathe. There's never been equality for me, nor freedom in this homeland of the free. Say, who are you that mumbles in the dark? And who are you that draws your veil across the stars? I am the poor white, fooled and pushed apart. I am the Negro bearing slavery's scars. I am the red man driven from the land. I am the immigrant clutching the hope I seek and finding only the same old stupid plan of dog eat dog, of mighty crush the weak. I am the young man full of strength and hope, tangled in that ancient, endless chain of profit, power, gain, of grab the land, of grab the gold, of grab the ways of satisfying need, of work the men, of take the pay, of owning everything for one's own greed. I am the farmer, bondsman to the soil. I am the worker sold to the machine. I am the Negro serving servant to all of you. I am the people, humble, hungry, mean, hungry, yet today, despite the dream, beaten yet today, O pioneers. I am the man who never got ahead, the poorest worker bartered through the years. Yet I'm the one who dreamt our basic dream in the old world while still a serf of kings, who dreamt a dream so strong, so brave, so true, that even yet its mighty daring sings. In every brick and stone, in every furrow turned, that's made America the land it has become. Oh, I'm the man who sailed those early seas in search of what I meant to be my home, for I'm the one who left dark Ireland's shore and Poland's plain and England's grassy lea, and torn from black Africa's strand, I came to build a homeland of the free. The free? Who said the free? Not me. Surely not me. The millions on relief today, the millions shot down when we strike, the millions who have nothing but our pay for our pay. For all the dreams we've dreamed, and all the songs we've sung, and all the hopes we've held, and all the flags we've hung, the millions who have nothing for our pay, except the dream that's almost dead today. Oh, let America be America again, the land that never has been yet, and yet must be, the land where every man is free. The land that's mine, the poor man's, Indians, Negroes, me, who made America, whose sweat and blood, whose faith and pain, whose hand at the foundry, whose plow in the rain must bring back our mighty dream again. Sure, call me any ugly name you choose, the steel of freedom does not stain. From those who live like leeches on the people's lives, we must take back our land again, America. Oh yes, I say it plain, America never was America to me, and yet I swear this oath, America will be. Out of the rack and ruin of our gangster death, the rape and rot of graft and stealth and lies, we the people must redeem. The land, the mines, the plants, the rivers, the mountains, and the endless plain. All, all the stretch of these great green states. And make America again. We'll see you next week.